Welcome back to the Thinking Theologically podcast, where we teach you how and why you should think theologically. I am one of your hosts, the resident master uh, theologian in training. I think that's what Jack normally uh, calls me, uh, Spencer Shaw. And uh, we are bringing you, uh, this is actually the first of several special slash different episodes that we're doing. So you may notice that I'm the one introducing uh, instead of Jack, but I am joined here with Jack, who said that I could call him a resident theologian in training, just not a master resident theologian in training. Uh, So uh, Jack, how are you doing? I am doing very well. It feels weird to, (laughs) to not be, to be, to be answering that question instead of asking that question. Uh, I'm not sure I like the flipped tables here, (laughs) but I think it'll be good. This is actually, for for those of you that are listening, this is the second time I've given the introduction now this week. This is the first episode you're hearing when I I do it. But the first time I did it, it felt weird because I was like, this isn't right. I'm I'm not the one that's supposed to be getting us started. Um, (laughs) So it, it took me a little bit of getting used to. With that being said, I, I want to uh, let you know about some new things that we have coming your way. Uh, beginning next week, so after this episode comes out, we're going to have our first of hopefully many interviews where uh, I speak with an interview and have conversations with people with some kind of experience or expertise in an area of theology or related to theology. I'm excited about that. Uh, The first one is with a good friend of mine, Jake Doberins, who is getting ready to publish a book on on artificial intelligence Mm. in churches and ministries. So we spend literally a couple of hours talking about (laughs) uh, artificial intelligence in churches. Uh, That's also the first podcast we've done that has a video component to it. So be looking for that if you're on YouTube, but of course you can also find us at thinkingtheologically.org. You can find us on social media, uh, Facebook, uh, both Jack and I are there. Uh, I am everywhere else, uh, TikTok, Instagram, (laughs) uh, Twitter, you name it. I'm there and you can find me now, beginning next week, you can find us on YouTube. At least some of our interviews and conversations that we do will be on there. And you can, of course, reach us with questions, comments, concerns. Uh, if it's negative, it's all gets sent to Jack, but uh, that's at <laughs> Strong Church Ministries at Gmail. Um, I, I think that's everything. I think I remembered everything that you told me I needed to say. Nailed it. At yeah. the oh, beginning. Um, we haven't talked about what we're going to talk about today. No, no. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, with with that being said, we're doing spiritual realm stuff. Uh, angels, demons, Satan, uh, evil, sin, all of that, uh, divine counsel. Everything. God. Yeah. Uh, everything that can exist in the spiritual realm is kind of what we're talking about. We're going to have a hundred episodes on this subject <laughs> to fit it all in. There's a lot to talk about oh, yes. because uh, there's not just stuff important in the Bible, but in other literature, as we'll talk about here in a few moments. Um, but the that's why we are flipping sides is because Jack has done a lot more uh, study and research on spiritual realm things. He has taught it in a couple of different contexts at his congregation. It's something that I've dabbled in a little bit. And there are a couple of specific things I've done some work in, but as a whole, not my area of expertise. So we're going to let Jack do his thing for the next, who knows how many weeks. He says 10, but... I think I, I think about 10. Think about I 10, we can do it. I think he's just as bad as I am. Yes. Um, okay, so uh, I, I spent... I got to spend about 13 weeks. We had a we have a special Thursday class we do a couple times during the year here. So I got to spend 13 weeks in hour-long classes 
uh, teaching this material. And then in order to be efficient with everything else going on, the next year in for Sunday mornings, I got nine weeks uh, to teach the classes. So I had to cut some material, trim some things down and all of that sort of stuff. But uh, spend a significant amount of time teaching through these uh, these subjects, and uh, even still, as it kind of comes up, uh, even a, a series I'm preaching right now on Sunday mornings, uh, talking about our battleground, the spiritual battle. I, I dealt with it a little bit, uh, even there. So it's it's something that's become very um, pervasive in everything that I talk about because it's all over the place and. Hopefully, as we go through this series, you'll start to see like, oh man, it really is. Uh, it really is everywhere. Uh, speaking of which, uh, before I get into like a little intro illustration thing, um, Spencer, if you'll read Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, um, for us to build off of this idea of evil being everywhere is not is not my thought. It's, uh, it's Paul's uh, here out of Ephesians 6. Yeah, good place to start because Paul is one of my areas of, of expertise. There you go. So I can you'll read him well. <laughs> I'll, I'll 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 read Paul and then uh, <laughs> I'm I'm kind of done for the next hour. Um, Ephesians six ten through twelve. Paul says, "Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood." but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I think that uh, that passage is one that's familiar to a lot of us as we study through, but uh, it's one of those passages that we read it and we go, okay, so clearly Paul is making some kind of contrast. We don't wrestle against this, but against this. And flesh and blood is pretty easy for us to grasp like okay he's so that's physical so this other thing uh spiritually oriented and all this but then maybe we go i i don't know what that is and quite honestly for a long time growing up uh, when we got to ephesians 6 and heard this passage my reaction was paul where did this come from like you you didn't introduce this at all man like in your letter we we're talking about Jews and Gentiles and conflict and whatever and then this pops up uh but uh having studied a lot more now and understanding study process and things more uh, you see that Paul like this is the conversation Paul really wants to have but he has to deal with the whole flesh and blood wrestling first to say that's not that's not where the battle is the battle is somewhere else. Uh, and it's that somewhere else, the thing that's not seen, but is going on, uh, that our focus will be on, uh, really throughout this whole thing. Uh, today is just going to be an introduction to why this study is even important and necessary because, uh, really as we go through it, you'll see this whole thing is very much a, a paradigm shift for us. Uh, when we think of the spiritual battle, we might think of stuff like this. Uh, so this was last year, maybe the year before. It was during the LSU uh, Florida State uh, game, uh, and it was a trailer for a show called Little Demons. It's an animated show and all this sort of stuff. Uh, I don't think that animation's purely for kids, but there is obviously kind of, uh, oh, that's animated, and so kids might be drawn to that, which is which is problematic. Uh, the premise of the show is this. After being impregnated by the devil, a reluctant mother and her antichrist daughter attempt to live an ordinary life in Delaware. And in an interview, uh, the one talking about the, I believe she plays the mother. Uh, she said, I love that we are normalizing paganism. Laura is a pagan. She's a witch. She's jacked. Uh, and the show is showing up on Disney Plus, which Obviously, a lot of people have and all of this. When, when we think about the spiritual battle, that that's where our mind goes. But it's still it's still the flesh and blood thing. Like our mind goes to the shows that exist uh, culturally or uh, artists like Lil Nas X and Sam Smith, who in recent years have been 
uh, heavily satanic in imagery for music videos or award show performances or things like that. Uh, and then even the Church of Satan, again, I believe last year, uh, saying that abortion rights are part of their belief system. Uh, and so those things need to be allowed and all of that. And those are not good things, uh, but that tends to be like where the extent of our battlefield goes. Our battle is against those people. It isn't. Uh, our battle is the thing that's behind why those things happen. What, what motivates that kind of behavior? What has uh, tricked or deluded people into thinking that those are the right and good things to do uh, with their life? Why, why that's uh, a good gospel to spread is the good news of Satan and all of this stuff. What, what has motivated that kind of behavior? That's the battlefield. That's the heavenlies stuff that Paul talks about. It's the thing that we don't see that is causing these things that we do see to to actually come about. Uh, and so this whole series is going to represent uh, a paradigm shift for us. There's going to be a lot of, and th this is true of every episode, I, I feel like. There are a lot of things that when Spencer's like, hey, let's talk about this, there are some of those things where I go, man, I've got to shift my way of thinking a little bit just to just to hear it and to be open to maybe that that's how this thing works. Uh, but here's the goal today, uh, that the Bible teaches us uh, that sin and its corruption uh, slash destructiveness uh, is our enemy, and that as well as the forces that bring that corruption and destructiveness into the world. Okay, it's not just the evil we see, but the stuff behind that, the unseen stuff. Uh, I do want to say here, and this will be at the bottom of the show notes, just to just to make sure that it's there. Um, much of this study uh, and material we'll be presenting, I've adapted it and I've added things and whatever, but uh, the work of Dr. Michael Heiser, who passed away, I think, like a year ago today, um, his, his whole life's work was about this kind of stuff. Uh, and while I don't agree with everything that he believes theologically, the amount of work and study and research and uh, all of this that he's put into various volumes of work and hundreds upon hundreds of hours of lectures uh, is it's like he's the guy. Uh, when you want to look at these subjects, uh, this is the guy that you you go to. Uh, and so I'm appreciative of his work. Uh, sad that he's no longer with us to continue uh, that work because he is uh, very much the, the, uh, the scholar uh, when it comes to this particular subject. Uh, Spencer, there, before we get into the actual why this discussion is important, it sounded like you were about to jump in yeah. right before I was cueing you. I can't get out of the co-host. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the, there's a, when you were talking about, yeah, the kind of setting the stage that there's a couple things that came to my mind about why this is important. You pointed out that we, we see the flesh and blood stuff and it, that's our enemy. And in reality, there are uh, forces of evil that are at work behind the scenes. And I think that's important to realize because Christians, I think we have the, we have the tendency of not only to look at the, the flesh and blood as that's our actual enemy, but because of that, sometimes we look at the flesh and blood and say that that's the solution. So yeah, it's yeah. it's this presidential candidate or it's this church or it, it, it's this person, this human flesh and blood thing that's going to solve all of the problems. And uh, that's not the case because Scripture points out that it's not the actual problem. But we talked about this in one episode, and I don't remember what it is, but also that Scripture points to the problem of evil in people's lives being the work of sin and evil in the world. And what that does is it is it forces us to see people differently. I, the, we, yeah. I might have problems with something that somebody's doing, you know, or I might believe what they're doing is causing these other problems to ensue. But when I realize there are these forces at work in the world, I, I now see that, and it's not, my problem's not the person. 
I might have a problem with what the person does, but my problem is not the person. Right. The person's created in the image of God. Uh, the problem is that sin has a way of taking a hold of people, and that's true for all of us. Yes. And so it it shifts it shifts the way we view people. And to me, that's important because that means that while some of the stuff we're, we're going to be talking about, I'm sure, will be uh, just maybe in the, the fun, interesting things to to talk about. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, that, that help us make sense of some difficult passages or stuff like that. But there's going to be plenty of other things that I believe have very practical applications. And that's one of them. Where do we look for a solution to evil? And uh, how do we view people when they do evil? And part of that hinges on where we think evil comes from. And if we think evil is just a human thing, uh, we're going to blame the humans and we're going to look to humans. But if we think that humans might be participants in something, though, that is bigger, then not only do we need a bigger solution, but it changes the way that we interact with, with people. Um, and so there's some, some very practical things and what we're going to be talking about. Uh, so let's let's kind of uh, get into it. Yeah. The uh, next uh, thing that we want to talk about is the importance of the spiritual realm study. So why is this this important? Uh, there's that application piece that immediately came to, to my mind, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of other reasons that uh, the spiritual realm is important. And part of it is is because the things that we read talk about it. The Bible talks about it. And so we need to better understand what's going on because it, as Jack's alluded to, it shows up all over the place. Um, and so what's going on in our Bible? So, uh, Jack, why don't you yeah. uh, discuss a little bit about how it shows up in Scripture? Sure. Yeah, there's a... a what's the saying? Uh, the the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it, I think is the, the phrase. Uh, but this is one of those things where... Uh, some of the passages that I'll read quickly here in just a moment, we we know these. Uh, most Christians are very aware of this. What we'll find out is when we get into the Old Testament, we go, I've either never read that. Like, not only is it difficult uh, as a passage, it's just ignored as a passage. Um, and that's mostly true for the Old Testament. The stuff that we'll look at here in just a moment is stuff that we're very familiar with, but we don't know what to do with it because we don't have the Old Testament foundation uh, of understanding what those writers are are pulling from and, and bringing about. Uh, so I say all that to say th- these are just New Testament verses. Uh, we read Ephesians 6, uh, 10 through 12 just a moment ago, and, and Paul very just explicitly calls out, this is the battle that we're involved in, and then lays out the armor of God and all this stuff. And we use armor of God for VBS, which, you know, great, but there's greater significance there uh, than we really we really place on it. Uh, you have passages like 1 Peter 8 through 9, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, uh, resist him. Uh, there is Old Testament connection there about the language that Peter is using. He didn't come up with uh, this idea. It's an Old Testament way of talking about uh, evil. Uh, James will say in chapter 4, verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Similar to Peter as far as the resisting and all of this, um, but uh, definitely coming from that same sort of Old Testament background. Uh, Matthew 6, uh, in talking about the uh, this then is how you should pray. Uh, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or evil one. Uh, I'm not sure like which is earlier manuscript or most manuscripts or whatever, but uh, a lot of Bibles will have that footnote of evil can be the evil one. Uh, That's even an interesting discussion that we'll get into, not today, uh, but the idea of one evil thing versus uh, plurality of evil. Uh, But then passages like Revelation 2, uh, verse 24, to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, uh, and then in Revelation 2 and 3, you get several references to the synagogue or the assembly of Satan. Obviously, those that are uh, believing something that is opposed to God, but the way that it's being discussed is 
uh, as being under this evil influence, this this unseen thing that is causing these seen things uh, in the world in teaching or or behavior. These are just a few New Testament passages uh, of blatant like us versus them, not people versus people, uh, because all people and Spencer uh, Spencer talked about this a second ago. All people are made in the image of God. And when we view people as the enemy, then it's, well, I need to do something about that person. No, you don't. You need to do something about the thing that is that has taken hold of them, uh, that has enslaved them uh, to bear a different sort of image, you know, bear this image of Satan or evil or sin, however you want to say it. Uh, and when we, when we view the battle in that way, that the us versus them is not flesh and blood versus flesh and blood, but... Uh, us versus these spiritual forces at work behind the scenes, uh, we we stop demonizing people and we demonize the you know demons. That's <laughs> that's where that focus should go. Uh, speaking of which, Jesus and in the show notes it's just Matthew references because because it's enough uh, that Jesus repeatedly interacts with demons uh, throughout the Gospels. Uh, that he is said to have dominion and power and authority over all of these things. And what we'll find out is, as we go through the rest of this study uh, over the course of however many however many lessons, that that's not just some like placeholder for, wow, he sure is powerful. It's so much more than that. There is there is a patterning around Old Testament people that Jesus is, especially in Matthew's gospel, he looks like these Old Testament figures that t- entangled or that uh, tangled with these these things within the Old Testament. They battled with them, and here Jesus serves as another type uh, of that individual. It's actually going to deepen a lot of our beliefs about Jesus, about the church, uh, about our own worship, and a number of other things. And that's really that first important point. The Bible discusses this all over the place, and if we do not understand it very well, we're going to miss out on a lot of depth. I, I, I don't think it changes any uh, doctrinal beliefs. It, it will change some theological ideas, but I think the best word is it will deepen our uh, faith and trust in God and what he's doing and deepen our understanding of what Jesus came to do. Uh, deepen our understanding of what we're supposed to do uh, as God's people. Uh, Spencer, anything to anything to add to any of that? Yeah, I I've 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 found a use in this episode. Um, <laughs> I I've 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 got my Greek New Testament sitting here, so yes. uh, just for the fun of it, I pulled up Matthew six thirteen. Okay. Um, and I I would argue the the better translation is. Uh, the evil one. Okay. So, uh, the, the confusion there seems to be the, the, the noun for evil or the, the, the word for evil or evil one is an adjective, uh, paneros. Um, it, it has, um, it has the article in front of it, which, uh, doesn't mean it's a person. Sure. That's what gives it the possibility of the adjective being used as a noun, um, because you would have to have the article for it to be rendered as a noun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, without the article, it's def it's probably definitely functioning like an adjective or a a general noun, like not a evil one, but evil beings in general or something like that could be a possibility if you didn't have but the the um article kind of narrows down the the scope or it can that that's the thing of uh, side note preachers who make big arguments because a an article is present and don't understand greek don't do that because uh just <laughs> yeah. because there's yeah, an article yeah. doesn't mean it has to do something language doesn't ever work like that there's never a it has to mean this because of well no it doesn't there's always exceptions there's yeah. an exception yeah. to every language grammatical rule so just because it has an article doesn't mean the 
adjective is functioning like a sub uh, substantive, uh, like a definite noun. Doesn't mean that. Uh, but I would lean towards that's the way it seems to read to me. That to, it seems to make the most sense of the evil one. Right um, on. So there you go. There's my two cents of worth of uh, Greek there. No, that's good. Um, that's good. <laughs> uh, that's all I have to add to that. With that, though, not only does the Bible discuss it, but the extra biblical literature discusses it, which is yeah. we've we've talked about this before. We've talked about Enoch. We've talked about Jubilees. We've talked about some of these these other works. We've we've talked about their their role um, in between the, the the testaments that Jews didn't just stop writing. Uh, they didn't just yeah. stop thinking. Their theology didn't just stop developing, but it developed during that period. And so, when we see Judaism in the New Testament, it's something that's developed out of the Judaism in the Old Testament. But there are things that we find there that we're like, well, where did this stuff come from? Because it's not present in the yes. Old Testament. And one of the big developments is the understanding of of evil and of spiritual beings and because you don't see that much in the Old Testament. There's hints, but it's not it's not greatly developed or thought about um, like it is in the uh, intertestamental period. And, and part of that, I think, is the influence of like Greek philosophy that is concerned with, well, where does evil come from? And if God is all good, then how do we have all this evil in the world? Like questions like that, that Ancient Hebrews didn't, they weren't asking. Yeah. We've talked about this yeah. before. You read the Old Testament, good and bad come from God, right? God both chooses like Saul and then sends an evil spirit on him. So yes. what, what, what's going on there? <laughs> They're not asking the questions like we do, but those questions start to be asked uh, when Greek philosophy becomes the, the primary way that, that people are thinking, one of the, the primary word worldviews and where people are educated. So as those questions begin to rise, Jews have to start asking the questions of, well, how do we have a good God and evil? Where, where does this evil come from? And that's where you get the development of, of evil spiritual beings and yes. where you get the these things that show up on the scene in the New Testament that you don't really see in the Old Testament. You're like, well, wh where does this come from? Well, the, it's developed during that period, and we have writings that might not be considered inspired scripture, but might uh, shine a light on the way some of that is is used. So, uh, Jack, talk about a little bit about how these the the spiritual realm shows up in some of these intertestamental works. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we mentioned there First Enoch and, and Jubilees, and I think those were books that we even mentioned. Goodness, was it the last episode we did <laughs> talking about Revelation uh, and apoc uh, apocryph uh, apocalyptic uh, literature? Uh, that those are written in that way. Uh, Enoch, at the very at the very least, um, those are well. We'll get to this in just a moment, but those are books where there's just heavy spiritual discussion and all of this. Bell and the Dragons also thrown in there, though. I'm going to call these pseudepigraphal writings, which. You can buy, you can buy a pseudepigrapha if you're interested. That just stands for false writing, uh, working under a pseudonym. That's the idea here. Uh, if you want to talk about heaven, who's best qualified to write that book? Somebody like Enoch, who was just carried off. Uh, that's that that sort of idea. We've discussed that before. Uh, I think even in the last episode we recorded. I think Bell and the Dragon might be apocryphal, um, but. Uh, these these books in between the the testaments, the intertestamental period, uh, has a lot of development of their belief system, uh, and that's ultimately why they're important. Uh, we, uh, I, I, I would love for people to read these and study these and have a better understanding of the Jewish thought process. Uh, that being said, I'll settle for us having uh, a much better study of the Old Testament first. Like let's let's do that first uh, as New Testament Christians. <laughs> For the record, <laughs> go ahead. Apocryphal works like Bell and the Dragon, yes, are very easy to come by. You can buy a a Bible, Old King with James. 
them in there. Uh, I've got an NRSV sitting in my right beside me that has all of them in there. By the way, a lot of your digital copies of the Bible, if you use one that has... So like if you have like the uh, Bible app, I'm not exactly sure. I'll check it while you continue. But the... (laughs) I, I know in some other places where you have the digital copies, if you open up a digital copy of a Bible that has printed versions with the Apocrypha, like the new Revised Standard Version, a lot of the times they're in there, mm. like it, it because it's used by Catholics, for example. Yes. So, yes, um, you might have access to some of this for free and don't even know it. Um, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is it, uh, the Apocrypha is canonized as far as the Catholic Church is concerned, right? Without this turning into a big discussion on canonization yeah. and all those things. Uh, so yeah, you, you can buy those. Uh, the Apocrypha was in the original uh, King James translation, too, if I remember correctly, uh, that that was part of it and all that. That's, a, that's another discussion. However, uh, these books are heavily important uh, because they inform us of the viewpoints of the Jewish people, like how they believed, how some of these things developed over time. Uh, there is a lot of stuff. Like all the, <laughs> Jesus comes onto the scene, there's just demons everywhere. I'm like what, where did the, how this happen? Like where did this come from? Where all this talking and all this. Uh, Satan presented as a singular being, which is something we will we'll discuss more at a later time. Uh, yeah, that's... Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Not to interrupt you. We'll discuss but I'm it on the Bible app. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm on the Bible app. Okay. Uh, the New Revised Standard Version, NRSV. There's an NRSV CI, a Catholic Inner something. Uh, okay. It doesn't actually finish spelling it out. Uh, interconfessional, I bet is what it is. Sure. Uh, interconfessional version that has all of the um, apocryphal works translated. And for our listeners, the NRSV is the scholarly standard. So it's going to be... When with English versions concerned, it's the scholarly standard for the uh, apocryphal works. So you have okay. it for free if you ever want to. If you want to go read, Bell and the Dragon is right here. I have it opened up. Yeah, and uh, we we may reference Bell and the Dragon later in the study, but we will certainly be reading from Enoch and I think Jubilees as well. And here's here's why. So it's more than just an informing of the Jewish viewpoint, because when we're talking about viewpoint of the the Jews and all of this, it's not just, okay, this is the world presented to us within the Gospels. It's also our New Testament writers would have been good students of those writings. Um, both Second Peter and Jude contain Jude straight up quotes <laughs> Enoch, Second uh, Peter. Uh, alludes to things within Enoch and uh, Jubilees. Uh, But both of those books make reference in some way to those kinds of writings. They they were not ignorant of those things. They did not look at those and go, well, but that's not, you know, that's not scripture or anything. That's part of their belief system. And we have material brought into the New Testament uh, and discussions brought into the New Testament that come from those works uh, and what that shows us is, okay, some of this belief is very valid, like a, a proper way of viewing how these things work. Uh, and if nothing else, uh, a lot of our spiritual realm discussion, because like you said, a lot of this is going to be like fun and interesting. I love the subject because it's it is really cool, and it forces us to go to passages that we otherwise just ignore and go, wow, that's I don't understand that, and we just keep rolling along. So it forces us into some of those texts and going, these are here, why are they here? What do they mean? Uh, But alongside that, it it helps us to understand, even if we can't get fully on board with some of this belief system, we have to understand this was the belief of the the people in Jesus' day, the people writing uh, our New Testaments and our Old Testaments. The, The people writing the Bible had these thoughts in mind, uh, and you'll see that just kind of all all over the place. Alongside this, we have tons and tons and tons of Old Testament references, which I'm not listing here because uh, we will 
that's where we're going to start uh, in our in our next episode and all of those things. Uh, I'm looking at our <laughs> time. I'll have to jump through some of these a little quicker. But uh, did you have anything else you wanted to add to the the extra biblical literature side of things? No, I, I've, I've probably said too much about it. No, uh, but <laughs> the 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 next two things that you want to talk about about yeah. uh, sinful behavior and our true enemy are are things that we've talked about a little bit yes. thus far about the some of the to me some of the the very applicable things about you know how, how do we go out and live as as Christians is influenced by like I said where we think evil originates from and and who's to to blame for the evil things that yes exist in the the world so so talk a little bit about uh the background for sinful behavior yeah and this will actually get us into some old testament passages uh as well to to get us started uh the opening of the bible presents us with creation from god as being this good thing like functioning as intended perfectly good creation uh but then we, we're all very familiar with Genesis 3. In fact, uh, and it's Heiser who says this, that if you ask any Christian, you know, what, uh, what is the problem with the world? Like, wh- where, did, where did things go wrong in all of this? They would say Genesis 3, you know, the fall. And that's, that is true, but not the whole truth. Um, if, if you've ever read through Genesis you know that when you hit, when you read Genesis 1 through 11, and then you start in, ver, in in chapter 12, you still have a significant portion of Genesis left to go. But the way Genesis is written all of a sudden just like grinds to a halt. It becomes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And before that, it's Man, we've got creation, we've got this snake thing that shows up, and then we've got murder, and then we have the flood, and then we have just, it's all these wild events, and then we focus in on people. Uh, those events that are placed there are more than just the fall. There's actually three very significant events that all contribute to the background of sinful behavior. Genesis 3, uh, we have... Uh, I have in our notes here gives us Satan speaking through a serpent, but we'll we'll talk about what Satan means and stuff later on. Uh, but it we, is referred to as the the devil in uh, Revelation. Yes, so yeah, that's that not, the ancient dragon, that serpent of old. John says, never in the Old Testament. That's Just true. A, that's side true. note: the Old <laughs> Testament doesn't call the serpent Satan. Right, right, right. But, but I digress. But we have we we have two instances of. Uh, an animal speaking, Balaam's donkey being the other one. And in both cases, though it's a good spiritual being the second time, it is spiritual beings speaking through an animal, which is quite interesting. Um, so if, you know, you, you gotta, if you accept one, you've got to accept the other sort of thing. Uh, or how you view one is how you have to view the other, unless you want to be inconsistent, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why you would want to do that. Uh, But we have Genesis 3, and that's the fall, and that's how we talk about it and regard it, and that's appropriate. It's the truth, but it's not the whole truth. Uh, Genesis 6, uh, verses 1 through 4, gives us a setting for uh, the the sons of God taking for themselves uh, daughters of man, and from there you have the Nephilim and all this stuff, which is an interesting passage just like on its own face because we go, what in the world are these things? Um, There are, and we will discuss this, uh, there are two kind of main views of what is happening there. I'll tell you right now, I'm going to speak of it as angels coming down, rebelling against God. There'll be some questions about that, but we'll look at that. But Genesis 6 paints this picture of, man, we went downhill real fast. Now, narratively, it was fast. Genesis 5 is a very long genealogy. (laughs) There's actually a lot more time there than we feel because we either don't read chapter 5 or we don't think about the timing of it all. But narratively, we go from don't eat that, don't kill somebody, and then, man, you guys are just killing everybody and doing whatever you want. But it brings spiritual forces into a heavier front. Instead of a a thing crouching in the field, it's things all over the face of the 
the earth uh, and their influence is spreading like wildfire. So God cleanses that with the flood and here we go. We're going to have righteous family here, except we're not. It's sin again uh, through through Ham and, and all of this, uh, which then leads us to that final event before we start focusing in on Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, uh, the Tower of Babel, which is a... There, there's language all over the place uh, about how uh, d- how influencing... What, what is causing the influence there? Uh, that there is uh, some of these Genesis 6 things present uh, in this place. Uh, you might wonder how if they were wiped away in the flood. We'll come back to that later. Uh, but the text itself describes these beings as being present again and influencing people to not bear the image of God like they're supposed to, but to seek to make a name for themselves, which is very much a real problem, so much so that God scatters the people and languages change and people groups are now being formed and all of this, and then our narrative shifts to God focusing on a singular people group to make a covenant with for the purpose of blessing all of the nations, because God wants everybody. Uh, So there's some of that may be new, uh, but I hope you can see there already like, okay, there's a lot of depth (laughs) taking place there that kind of adds to stuff we already believe. We know Abraham, we know about the fall. But there's more than that, uh, than just than just those particular events. Uh, in other words, uh, these events are not just sinful aberrations to the good creation. They are guided aberrations to the good creation. The Bible places evil spiritual beings at the beginning and continuing of sinful behavior in the same way that it places good spiritual be- beings at the ending of uh, sinful behavior. And as we go through, we'll, we'll see that a little more. Uh, thoughts there before we jump into the next one nope we can go ahead and uh talk about the perfect uh, (laughs) how it focuses us on the true enemy which again we've talked about a little bit yeah as well so from the beginning we're told that people are made in the image of god uh, and as time progresses we see israel in wars with other nations of people uh, like philistines and others Uh, these nations are shown repeatedly to be under the influence of evil spiritual forces uh, in places like Joshua and uh, when David is king and all of this, but they're things that go unnoticed to us because we we miss you know the foundational pieces. Um, but when we start to see those, then we start to go, oh man, it's everywhere. Uh, within the New Testament, we get a clearer picture of this when we read how God wants all people to come to knowledge of the truth. The the covenant with Abraham is this desire to bless all of the nations, all this. Uh, and God wants all people to bear his image. Again, the Philistines themselves were not the enemy as the influence they represented. Uh, why did God not want them to intermarry with the people around them? Well, it's not because God hates those nations. It's because they will cause you to go astray. Uh, they'll, you'll follow these things instead, and you'll stop bearing my image. Uh, we cannot have that. Uh, we, you start to see a lot of the Old Testament differently when we get this together. Uh, but this is especially true of Jesus' goal, which is not to eradicate people, but the sin within people and the sinful forces influencing people. Go ahead. Look, uh, look to the, the book of Ruth is a prime example of that. It, yeah, uh, yeah. I, we don't know when Ruth was written. Uh, the story tells us when it takes place. Uh, we know it was written after the, or it got in its final form after David, because it ends with showing how Ruth leads to David. Right, right. Uh, I find compelling, just for theological reasons, the belief that maybe it was written during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, who, if you go and read Ezra and Nehemiah, they're divorce your foreign wives is one of the things both of them push. Right. And if that's the case, then... 
Ruth is kind of a counter argument to that of Ezra and Nehemiah and saying that the, the, the problem with the foreign wives is not that they're foreign. It's that they lead you astray to other gods, like what happened with Solomon, for example. And God, God warns Israel, as you mentioned. He, they're warned about that in the Old Testament. Yeah. Uh, but you have Ruth, who is a foreigner, uh, but one who is faithful, more faithful than the Israelites. This happens during the time of the Judges, which is a particularly dark period. Yes. In Israel's history, uh, go read the Judges and you'll see that. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes is how the book of Judges ends. Not on a very high note, uh, but Ruth is kind of held up as this is a foreigner who does what is right. And mm-hmm. Boaz is one of the few Israelites during the period who does what is right. Yep. And it, it counteracts that, that idea of, again, remembering who the enemy is. And it's the false gods slash evil beings. I'm yeah, sure yeah. we'll have more to say on that in future yes, episodes, we <laughs> what all that means. But I, I think Ruth, especially if it was written during that time period, would be a very, uh, it, 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 if it was written during that time period, it stands as a contrast to make that point. Yes. Yeah. Um, Jonah is the example that springs to mind. Uh, for me, uh, of his hatred for this people group, which admittedly, very wicked people group, but you see God's overwhelming desire for like, no, they're, they're people though. Should, should I not care for them? Should I not give them the opportunity uh, to, to repent? But you have Jonah who's very much like, no, I, my wrestling is against flesh and blood <laughs> and God trying to show it. No, it, no, it's not. No, it's not. We, we want to get rid of the thing. Uh, behind all of their wicked behavior. And if we can do that, then these people get to live, this this great city. So there's there's a lot that will, I, I don't even think we'll, from this point, we'll even talk about Jonah uh, or Ruth for, for that matter, but it's all in there too. Um, so yeah, lot, lots, to, lots to add there. Um, this, this idea will show up very heavily uh, throughout any text that you read. I, lo- I love the study <laughs> for that, for that reason. It just deepens so much, so much stuff. Uh, last, last thought here before we, uh, before I close my things out here and then you can do whatever, I guess, to close it out. <laughs> uh, this ultimately, this, this study provides us greater appreciation for what God has done. Uh, I must've read this a bunch of times, but never really thought of it. First uh, John 3, 8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Uh, Jesus did not only come to give us a relationship back with God, which is the Genesis 3 problem, the, the falling away, the separation created there, but also to defeat the evil that sought its own power in God's creation, which is the Genesis 6 problem, uh, and to bring the nations back to him, which is the Genesis 11 problem where the nations are dispossessed uh, and that's uh, dispossessed, disinherited is a very intentional language. Uh, we'll see why uh, I think in our next episode. Uh, but in other words, Jesus is not only here to redeem the relationship back to God, uh, but the creation from its corruption and the nations from their, their selfishness. Ultimately, Jesus is going to provide that way of getting back to all people being able to bear the image of God by defeating the the other things that they're bearing the image of. Uh, again, does that change things? A little bit, it does. But it certainly deepens uh, our belief about Jesus and, and what he has done, why he came, and all, and all of that. To summarize this, the, the study and grasp of the spiritual realm is essential for truly understanding not only what Jesus has done for us, but by extension, uh, our responsibility as the people of God's kingdom. Uh, And that goes back to Ephesians 6. If we're truly in a a battle here, we need to understand how long that thing's been going on, how that has been fought throughout the Old and New Testament, and what our role today uh, is in all of that. The more we study this, uh, the more we understand 
all God has done for us and the more we understand what our, what our job here is, God's kingdom really is. Well, I don't know about those who are listening, but I'm excited about the rest of this series. I think the, the spiritual realm stuff is not only interesting, and as Jack has pointed out, it not only helps our understanding of some of the big themes like salvation throughout the, the Bible, uh, evil throughout the Bible, but some of those notoriously difficult passages, I think, begin to make sense yep. when we understand what's going on on a wider scale and understand the way words are used and what they mean and how they develop and and all of that gives us a better appreciation of some of those passages that are that we either don't understand or some of those that are very weird at least on the surface level uh, so it begins to unlock some of that for us mm -hmm. uh, so uh, be looking forward to those future episodes go and check out our past episodes, some of the new things that we're going to have uh, coming out uh, from the interviews and conversations that we're going to start doing to, I'm sure we'll have an article or two as we go through this study as well. And then uh, as always, check us out on uh, thinkingtheologically.org on uh, social media, email us at strongchurchministries at uh, Gmail. Uh, check out the, the new videos on uh, YouTube as well. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode. I'm Spencer, and that is Jack, and thank you again for joining us. <laughs>